WLUWX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Sounds Good Music House, the record shop on Main Street in Andes for new and used vinyl, including new releases and rare titles across all genres, as well as turntables, mid-century furniture, and original artwork. Sounds Good Music House buys used records, too. Open weekends and any time the doors open. More information at 845-676-6233. 845-676-6233. Or soundsgoodcatskills.com. Sweet Pea Supply Company in the hamlet of Halkettsville for fresh-made baked goods, prepared dishes, and Jane's ice cream. A general store with an international selection of chocolates, condiments, and gifts. Open Thursday through Monday, 11 to 7. Sweet Pea Supply Company, Bragg Hollow Road, Halkettsville. 607-326-6776. 607-326-6776. Weekly specials posted at sweetpeasupplyco.com. The Catskill Mountain Foundation, celebrating 25 years of bringing arts to the mountaintop. With over 90 performances, 35 classes, and countless community events this year, from Grammy Award-winning musical performances to dance and art classes for all ages, including Hope Pointland Dance performing A State of Love and the Olivier Tarpega Dance Project performing Once the Dust Settles, Flowers Bloom. Event information at CatskillMTN.org. WIOX Roxbury is supported by you. And a really easy way to support WIOX is to donate your car or truck, one that you don't need anymore. You know, the one sitting out in the backfield or off the side of your driveway. We'll get the old clunker out of the way at no cost to you. But it could be worth hundreds of dollars to support WIOX. Learn more about WIOX vehicle donations at WIOXradio.org. Thank you.
You are listening to WYOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WYOXradio.org on computers or smartphones. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan, Zane, and Zara tonight. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you, Pretty Ryan? Good. I'm all right. What have you guys been up to? Uh, I went to Virginia a couple weeks ago. Saw some cool trees down there that we don't have up here, so that was cool. Um, other than that, just some consultations. Been out in the forest, and yeah, not any, much else. Any good specimens out there that are interesting? Um, well, I was in uh, an urban area, Virginia Beach, so not a whole lot of forest, but I did go to the coast, um, and there's a state park there, and uh, saw some different types of oak. They've got a lot of live oak, water oak, which actually I didn't know mm. about before. Uh, it's kind of cool. The The leaf looks a little bit like a turkey foot. It's got like three lobes right at the end, and then it tapers down. Um, and then a lot of loblolly pine. Um, hmm. Pretty big pines. I don't yeah. know how old they were, but um, I think loblolly grows pretty quickly, so maybe not that old. I mean, they're on the coast, lots of sun there, so but probably like you know thirty plus inches diameter. Uh-huh. Pretty pretty large trees. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I've been uh, planting trees for the Legacy Tree Program. Planted a couple sugar maples today. That was really nice. Um, I've been reading a really interesting book. It's called uh, White-Tailed Deer, A Year's Journey. It's by Curtis K. Statfield, and it basically follows a deer in the third person through every month of its life. Oh, neat. Not really. Yeah, it was published in 1975. Mm-hmm. I picked it up at a bookstore, and I really like how he writes about how the deer thinks and how it just follows its instinct and some things it's conscious of, something it's not, how the... Uh, the seasons change and how it picks up on new things and um it's really neat follows a doe that just had a fawn and so they're out in the Mm -hmm. world and the fawn's learning about the world but um he really writes it from a good perspective he talks about kind of the deer biology and talks about uh this this fictional deer but um uh, it's a really good book so see like a scientist or a hunter or a wildlife biologist yeah yeah, he's a wildlife biologist and um talks about the history of deer in the new england um their biology but he also talks about um studying them in captivity Hmm. and he talks about how deer have certain behaviors that are different in captivity and how they've kind of studied those deer and and kind of guess at how deer uh, act in the wild around situations but um, it's just an animal that's largely uh, going on instinct. And uh, throughout the season, things occur to it, and it's, uh, you know, it's a survivor. But yeah. it's ri- written very well. So if anybody can find it, um, I recommend it. Cool. Yeah, I'd say the white-tailed deer and the uh, eastern coyote are probably the most adaptable animals yeah, in the modern age. Yeah. yeah. You know? What about you, Ryan? Uh, I've been doing a little hunting of ginseng. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm you know, I'm, I'm not looking to pick it and sell it. I just do it for uh, just to uh, 
this year I'm experimenting with how medicinal it really is. Mm, mm-hmm. So, so far, you know, it could be placebo, but it really is working out. Yeah. You've been eating the root? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, nice. every day. And um, it, it's, um, I don't know, it seems to be working, so. Yeah, what has, do you notice? Uh, I do it for the anti-inflammatory properties. You know, Bob Bifus, who passed away, who's the guy from uh, Green County, mm-hmm. um, the Agroforestry Resource Center, so that would be Green County Cornell Cooperative Extension. Yeah. And he was the big ginseng guru. He wrote a whole research pamphlet, educational thing on ginseng, which is what we're going to talk about tonight with Zara. Yeah. And her wild simulated ginseng cultivation program. But, um, you know, I, when I talked to him last, I was a lot younger, like my maybe my 20s. And he was, I was like, so what's so, so, you know, big about it? And he's like, well, it's, you know, it's an adaptogen and overall health. And I'm like, so what do you notice? He's like, well, if you're younger and healthy, you probably won't notice anything really. Mm. He's like, as you get older, it matters more. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I'm doing. And uh, we'll see where it goes. Cool. But yeah. it's just, um, I've been reading up on it and watching videos on it and reading online stuff. And there's just a lot about it medicinally. Yeah, I mean, it's been revered for centuries or thousands and thousands of years, and at least in China. And then our version over here, which to my knowledge has been said to have all the same medicinal effects. So, yeah. Yeah. It truly is rare. Uh, I, you know, I, I kind of know where to look for it, and even in the areas where where I call it shangable, <laughs> uh, you know, this is looking shangy as I think to myself as I walk in the woods. It's rare even there. I mean, and yeah. it, and even where it is, you have to almost be within five feet of it to notice it. Mm-hmm. It hides. But what's cool about it is that this program we're going to talk about tonight potentially could take pressure off of the wild ones because uh even where even of the best of habitats it's still scarce it Mm -hmm. just doesn't it's kind of like yeah people do poach it and and um there's a market force for it the deer eat it but um i think even naturally it would be like kind of like basswood you know basswood tree doesn't grow in pure stands you know some things are just rare you know yeah it has a hard time even seeding itself in yeah especially over long distances i mean the seed just falls right underneath where the parent plant would be it's not a very tall plant yep and unless that condition is perfect where that seed fell you know you may not get you know no another plant so yeah yeah so it's rare it's just it doesn't grow like sarsaparilla is everywhere right wild sarsaparilla here it's there it's here it's everywhere but um and i don't think this the the seed can survive you know a lot of plants reproduce by it. an animal eats it you know poops it out somewhere else and that seed grows but i don't think ginseng seed works like that doesn't can't withstand yeah. that being you know digested or going through be stratified as you'll talk about right, yeah, tonight so. yeah it's just rare um you know sugar maple is a tree that grows in stands but not basswood sometimes i think about that like what if Sugar maple only grew like basswood. It would make maple sugaring hell on oh, earth, yeah. right? <laughs> Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, that's what we're talking about tonight. And uh, that's Zara Bellucci. She is the education forester and the guest speaker tonight uh, from the Catskill Forest Association talking about forest farming program, right? And then that's a 
Well, I'll let you explain. It's a three-part program, really. Yeah, it's got um, three different parts, as Ryan mentioned, and um, one of those parts is the wild simulated ginseng, which will kind of get into what wild simulated means. Um, and then the other two sections would be, or parts would be, um, shiitake mushroom cultivation and maple syrup production. Um, and forest farming falling under the umbrella of agroforestry. Um, so I'm kind of, uh, my purpose in bringing this program about um, was kind of noticing, you know, working with private landowners and noticing that there's not a whole lot of options in the modern world now um, to incentivize landowners to, you know, make money or, or manage their land. So, you know, we used to do a lot more timber harvesting. Um, as you know, obviously, the, the land in the Catskills, um, most of it was cleared at one point or another for agriculture, grew back, potentially was logged, hydrated again. Um, and so the, the forest condition is kind of left in a degraded state, if you will. And then, you know, now with, with many people being reluctant to do any type of management, any type of cutting, any type of anything in their forest. Um, I just think the state of the forest throughout most of the Catskills is not really conducive to those traditional forestry practices. Um, and then we don't really have the markets for low-grade uh, timber. So anyway, um, so I think agroforestry, namely forest farming in this region, would be a really good way to uh, get landowners back out on their land again and um, potentially have some other benefits like with the ginseng taking some pressure off of the wild plant um yeah another reason why ginseng is kind of cool is we're always talking about cutting on the show yeah and to benefit you know more shade intolerant disturbance dependent species like oak but ginseng is one that uh you don't need to cut mm-hmm. and in fact it, it kind of favors northern hardwoods which yep. is your sugar maple and calcium-rich soils that are deposited by the leaves of that same tree and basswood and, and stuff like that. So this is one uh, you don't have to. And some right. people have the right habitat. We'll talk about it tonight. But So this is a nice change where it's like, you know, don't have to cut. And, right. and for a lot of yeah. people, cutting is not the answer. It's, it's dangerous. It's labor-intensive. Maybe they don't like the aesthetics of it. Mm-hmm. And this lends itself to that. So... Yep, yeah. I mean, it definitely favors a more mature, you know, shadier forest, denser forest. Um, yeah, it has a very specific habitat. So Absolutely. Um, a lot of people don't have the habitat. Right. Say that yeah, that's the thing, that. too, is, you know, it, it sounds like, oh, it's this great thing. And a lot of people who know, who are familiar with its medicinal benefits, you know, might be excited about it, might want to plant it. But um, you really do have to fit kind of a... Uh, list of criteria to even think about putting seed down for ginseng. So, with that being said, you know I have a friend who in Margaretville, not gonna say where, because <laughs> they're pretty nice plants now. But he planted them right on the shady side of his house in his garden bed, mm-hmm. and you know there's a Norway maple above it, and they're they're nice big plants now. Yeah. So yeah. you can. That's true. You can do yeah. that too. Yeah. Some some members get lucky. I know one member bought ginseng seeds and, and planted them in their woods and were um you know they they sprouted and they took and you know you 
didn't think much of it. I thought it was neat. Right. Um, but during the consultation, I, I explained to him why they did so well because he didn't really know that his uh, stand was mostly sugar maple and it looked like an old sugar bush and then we mm -hmm. talked about the understory plants and the light conditions there and he only learned those things after the fact oh, yeah. he kind of got really lucky yeah, there uh, so that was really interesting yeah. to explain to him up. why they did so well and he was it, so he learned more and you saw him oh plants? yeah how many like these were he put uh probably about 12 seeds down two rows and he just put them right inside the forest line um, and he put them along this old rotting log. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I uh, put uh, chicken wire around them, and yeah. I saw them. They're they all took and. That's cool. Yeah, they're they're probably fifty yards from his house, just in the woods there. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, say yeah, it was interesting. It's a special plant. Um, before we go into. You know the agroforestry. You know and how yeah, to yeah. grow this thing. Let's talk. Like, what is it about ginseng? That's how would you describe it? Let's go botanically into it and why it's so special. Yeah. Um, well, it's an herbaceous perennial plant, so it grows and dies back every year. So you know, in the winter time, it's not evergreen. It's not going to be around. It'll die back, and then it has a season. So um, it kind of sprouts these this droop like cluster of it looks like a you know to somebody who would just stumble upon it, it kind of looks like a cluster of berries that comes out of the center of the plant uh but those are its um its seeds and they're coated in a little bit of flesh in that uh in the beginning of the season this is maybe around um august sometime they might be green and then they eventually turn red and uh that's that's the seed of the ginseng plant and then medicinally um, as far as I understand, uh, ginseng is an adaptogen, so that means that it's something that, it's, it's a plant or chemical that um, improves somebody's response to stress overall. So it kind of doesn't have like a specific ailment that it's treating, um, but rather it can treat many different things because you're just overall making... Uh, this is the claim it makes your your system just more robust so it can it's kind of considered like a panacea for many different ailments um and i don't know exactly how it was used in chinese medicine but i know that you know and that's where it was kind of popularized in china and then as i mentioned earlier we kind of have our a, a different species but this basically the same plant um over here and and that's said to have all of the same effects so the other thing is that um if you chew the leaves, and this might be true of the root, I don't know, maybe you've noticed this, Ryan, but um, it can have a bit of a stimulating effect, almost like you just drank a cup of coffee maybe for um, 30 minutes to an hour after you eat it. The, so. the leaves are, are more immediate, I feel, Yeah, do that more so than the root Yeah, in my in my experience. I'm sure everyone's a little different, but yeah. yeah. What do you guys think it tastes like? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't... Uh, I've only tried it a few times, the fresh plant, and I... It's hard to describe. I don't think I can remember. Yeah, it's a little bitter, I think. I yeah, know. most yeah. plants are. But not unpalatable. No. Yeah. No. I find it somewhat, like, addicting almost, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. But because of that medicinal value, it has a really high uh, value. Like, people will pay a lot of money for ginseng, which is why it's kind of a... 
you know, this niche crop that people grow. And, and then that's also why in, in certain areas, not so much up here, but, you know, more, I've heard more in, in you know, throughout Appalachia where it grows, uh, poaching is a serious problem. Mm. So. Yeah. It, I mean, you got to pick a lot to get a pound. Right. Yeah. An ounce root's pretty big. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And uh, and dried is how it's sold. So that's a pound dried, you know. Oof. So <laughs> it's not a uh, fresh usually, as far as I know. Right. So. Yeah. A pound. That's a lot of ginsengs. Yeah, you know? that is a lot of ginsengs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So let's talk about this. So there's wild ginseng, and that that brings in the most money in the marketplace. Right. And um, American wild ginseng, I, I believe, is worth the most. I think so, yeah. I mean, I've heard many different numbers, but I've heard, you know, as much as $1,000 a pound in some cases. Um, That's what I saw on the internet. Yep. I think it fluctuates year to year. Um, But ideally, you're not selling wild ginseng, um, just because especially in this region, uh, as you mentioned, there's not that much of it. So um, we don't want to be harvesting that amount of ginseng from the wild to be selling at a market um there is a season there is a season yep and i don't even know if it's legal to do that if you know harvest that much ginseng and sell but i don't uh, believe there's any permit or any any license or anything to 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 pick ginseng right i think there's just a season it's mostly september i believe Mm -hmm. again look it up online dc's website new york state dc but uh, i believe it's the month of september Mm -hmm. supposed to pick it when it's red berries plant this plant them i think you have to come out with the leaves and they have to have at least three prongs which Mm -hmm. is leaves which we'll go into more yeah but yeah yeah but anyway so that's wild ginseng that's worth a lot and the next step is wild simulated so that is a method under forest farming of growing a forest crop. Um, so wild simulated is basically exactly how it sounds. You're simulating, you're, you're establishing the ginseng yourself. So it's not truly wild because you're planting it. Um, but you're not going to put in tons and tons of effort and time and input into uh, keeping that ginseng uh, you know, well-fed and fertilized and things like that. Um, you're going to simulate how it would grow in the wild, which is essentially yeah. bare minimum site prep. You know, you might expose some mineral soil, rake the leaf litter back, um, cast your seed there and tamp it in, rake the leaves back over, and then, you know, let the, the seeds germinate. And then if you choose, you can go the extra step, which, you know, especially in our region, I would recommend some type of protection, you know, chicken wire to protect the seeds when they're small. And then um, when they start germinating and becoming more mature plants, you might consider deer fencing or some type of protection from deer. Now we're going to go into this step by step um, in the in the latter half of the show. But, um, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I read about this a long time ago. So. To me, wild simulated is probably the roots. The, the marketplace desires, and there's different thoughts on the medicinal yeah, nature of right. how cranky or contorted these roots are. Yeah. Right? They look like old men. Yeah. You know, there's always that thing about looking at wild looking ginseng. Like a, I would yeah. think wild simulated and wild ginseng would be almost identical in the Catskills. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because and you're not you're not cultivating at all. Yes. Exactly. So, the other method would be woods cultivated. So that 
word cultivation implies you're literally you might be even tilling the earth yeah. and making raised beds and pulling out all competing vegetation etc and mm. so you're making it easier for that plant to grow and you're probably removing rocks and other things that would obstruct that root from you know getting down into the soil so you're definitely you know going to have more craggy looking uh funky looking roots with a wild simulated uh plant and yeah you're right they they are valued way more <laughs> by by the really the, yeah. the, the asian market yep <laughs> so that's just driving the market as yep. far as i know yep yep and then uh there's the like you just touched on i've heard this too where you know if it looks like a human man if the root is shaped you know like a human it's it can be like three times or maybe even more the value of just a regular root that you harvest um just shows that it was not handled too too much right i don't know i think it's more like into a uh maybe a mystical mindset or some people oh i see yeah it's more like a folklore type of thing well what's kind of um, cool about it i picked one last week and i just couldn't count the rings so you have to count the rings on the neck yeah. of where they leave the main root to where it meets the plant right mm-hmm. that's called the neck they're so close together i'm thinking it was at least 50 years old wow <laughs> and that's really cool to think about because yeah. it's just a perennial herb this little tiny plant can be 50 years and i'll be honest i feel kind of bad about it because it's like geez you know there's not many i mean i couldn't mm-hmm. even find any others and there was babies around but they're so rare the amount of like you know you walk literally two acres and you find two plants yeah. five yeah. maybe so you don't feel great about i don't at least about picking them but like i said i really want them for my own medicinal uh thing going on mm-hmm. but that's really cool i mean that thing has been there since the 70s man yeah i mean that's through winters and spring and summer and fall and what well, you know it's just nuts it really is that's herb or herba- herbivores this one was between two logs, and I don't think that was a coincidence. Mm-hmm. I think the deer. Yeah, I mean, I know that oh. uh, yeah. some of the plants, you know, just like Zane mentioned, this this member planted along a log, and maybe that had something to do with its success as well. And then I know that, you know, on some uh, public land, you know, we've definitely found uh, plants that are under logs or sort of hidden, you know, around mm-hmm. deadfall and... Yeah, it could be right off of the deer path, but just because that log is placed just so, you know, it was spared. And yeah. So, yeah. Well, a lot of times, uh, I mean, I, these are things I've heard now about older people saying that they would plant them in the roots of trees or mm-hmm. in rocks yep. so the next guy couldn't e- as easily dig it up uh, or he could hide. Yeah. <laughs> Which I believe. These guys, yeah. they get around. Um, oh, yeah. They really do pick it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them love ginseng. Mm-hmm. They don't hate it. Uh, I'm sure there's always a couple out there who just do it for the money, but a lot of them do it for both, and they really do love it, and they plant it, and and, yeah. and they want to see it survive. Right. So, yeah. From what I've heard. Yeah, I mean, it, it is rare, and it kind of demands a certain amount of respect when you're when you're looking for it, and you do stumble upon it. And the one I found was uh, on private land, and I was looking for it because I saw a lot of indicator plants, and it was up in a bunch of like rocky. Uh, ledgy areas and like this uh, sugar maple stand and I knew it must be here and I'm finding all the indicator plants and I finally found it after I think about two hours just one plant and it had two seeds on it and that was enough for me I didn't 
harvested or anything. It was just left it there, and I'm sure those seeds have turned red and fallen now, but yeah, yeah took a long time. I think it might be a good year for ginseng with all the rain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been seeing little babies on a trail. That's really shocking because yeah. you never find them by the trail. Right. Because people pick it. But, yeah, to see them by the trail this year, I have to think that rain has kind of brought some up that have been dormant or just waiting for the right conditions. But who knows? Yeah. Uh, before we maybe get into materials and how to do this, maybe let's just talk about the habitat. Yeah. Let's skip ahead yeah. and then go back to the materials and actually a step-by-step process so what what is the habitat you're looking for how do you know if you have a good ginseng habitat yeah so like we mentioned before you want to usually want a specific type of forest so uh, the ideal is going to be a more mature forest you know trees that are 20 inches in diameter and above on average and the species would be dominant sugar maple with um Associates like basswood, ash, um, I think in uh, southern New York and maybe uh, um, more into Appalachia, tulip poplar is also a really good indicator tree for ginseng. Um, You can have some uh, oak around and other trees, cherry, things like that. Um, Yeah, some northern red oak in there. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, But the most ideal is kind of like that nice stand of sugar maples that are mature um, and that's because sugar maple leaves have calcium in them and so and they also decay very quickly so ginseng likes a calcium rich soil um, and they love a lot of organic matter so that that's kind of um, the purpose or the the role that the sugar maple leaves serve and then um, as we mentioned again it, it likes a lot of shade so that's anywhere from I think I've heard 70% and up um, or 75% shade so quite a lot of shade Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is a little unusual for you know and something that's you know most of the things we talk about that provide food or medicine or things like that want sunlight um, whereas ginseng kind of evolved as an understory herb so um, and then north or northeast facing slope so you know it's going to provide again a more moist shady type of environment um, not too wet, well-drained. Um, rocks are not a big deal, uh, but, you know, you don't want it to be too rocky. Um, yeah, I mean, there, and there's a whole host of indicator plants. So it does depend on the region you're in, but uh, some in the Catskills might be maidenhair fern, um, white baneberry or red baneberry, um, red elderberry, uh, stinging nettle, mm. um Rattlesnake fern, bloodroot, trillium. I mean, the list kind of goes on. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sugar maple seedlings. Sugar maple seedlings. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, the elderberry is what I was around a lot. That's where I was focusing in that area because I knew that um, if there's elderberry there, the deer probably weren't browsing that area as often. Yeah, wild ginger. Yep, wild yep. ginger. Uh, doll's eye, which is Bainsberry. Bainsberry. Yep. Alzai is a good Kohosh. one. Kohosh, yeah. forgot about Blue that Kohosh, Blue Kohosh, yeah, Kohosh. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wild sarsaparilla to some extent, mm-hmm. which I call false ginseng. Right, yeah. At <laughs> least fools people. The leaves look very similar, but they're pinnately compound, not palmately right. compound. Yeah. Right, palmate like your hand. Like your hand, mm-hmm. yeah. Coming out from a central node. Right. Um, 
Yeah, people always find that along the trail. <laughs> yeah, in elevation, you know, hey, 2,500, 2,200 but feet, but I've, I've, found it, I've found it at 1,300 feet, mm-hmm. 1,200 feet. So that may maybe that uh, has more to do with um you know the, the fact that people recommend a higher elevation like deer browse where they kind of drop off at a certain point mm-hmm. there's not as many of them up there but Absolutely. But there was one spot where um in Ulster County it has yellow poplar, sugar maple, awesome site. Mm-hmm. Deer browse really bad. Probably 900 feet, maybe a thousand. If it was 1,100, I'd be surprised if his mm. elevation there is 1,100. And it's just such rich soil. And we found a ginseng there on a cliffside, protected. Mm-hmm. And he put that cage up. Man, we've talked about it on the radio show, and that ginseng was not picked, but they aged it by digging up the soil a little bit. Over 100 years old. Wow. The roots probably huge, and. Babies came up the next year all up and down from that thing. Wow. So the, the seeds are in there. They come up, and the deer browse them. Mm-hmm. And it, you can tell that ginseng just wants to grow on that site. Yeah. But it can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, so yeah. anything else on the site? Um, aspect? Well, northeast. the aspect, north or northeast, is ideal, um, just because that's, like I mentioned, going to be the coolest side of the... Yeah. The slope. Um, you can't get away with something that's south or southeast, but um, yeah, I, I think north is the preferred aspect. Yeah. More Too much cool, shrub layers, not good. Right, yeah. Too much uh, hay scented or New York ferns. Yeah, those other ferns. Um, yeah, you definitely don't want those to be <laughs> all over the understory. As Pennsylvanians call them, bunch fern. It's fine. <laughs> Bunch fern's good. Like, you know, your Christmas fern, yeah. uh, wood yeah, fern, right. cinnamon fern. Those are fine. Yep. Those really unique ferns. Yeah. Not like the New York or hay-scented or... or rhizomatous roots. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next we'll we'll talk about actually cultivating this, planting it. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest, and tonight's show is Wild Stimulated Ginseng Cultivation with Zara Bellucci. Thank you. 
you're tuning in and listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is wild simulated ginseng cultivation. And uh, that last song was, what, ginseng blues. Hmm. Yodeling. Yeah. Nobody yells anymore there, Zane? I guess not. I, I don't hear yodeling. I don't, I don't hear yodeling. Yodeling. I'd like to hear more. Oh, I got to get more yodel. So do you get the ginseng blues when you don't find it or when you run out of it or... Yeah, I don't know. I don't You've been know. walking for miles, can't find it. One thing nice about ginseng is it's just usually where it grows. I find to be one of the most beautiful uh, stands of trees, mm-hmm. forest. It's just really That's nice. Yep. It's just nice to be there. You can't be in a rush. Just kind of do whatever, mosey about. Yep. You know, be a good retirement thing to do. But you got to get to the spot first. That's the hard part. Yeah. A lot of it. It's usually on une- uneven terrain. So yep. yeah, up a mountain or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so, what's that? The nettle can be, you gotta wear the long pants for the stinging nettle. I mean, I always wear pants. I haven't worn shorts in decades. (laughs) (laughs) Unless I'm swimming, I guess. But, um, yeah. So, let's talk about wild simulations and cultivation. Materials, what do you need? Pretty simple. Um, you just need the seed, which we'll talk about how to source that. But, um, you need the seed. And some simple garden tools that most people probably already have. Um, so like a tined rake, something that you can kind of scuff up the ground a bit with. And a leaf rake, um, you know, just to rake back the leaf layer and get that soil exposed. And that's pretty much it. You can also optionally have some um, poultry netting or wire mesh Um to protect the seed. The seed is also predated on by things like turkey and chipmunks and mice and things. So if you're planting the seeds and the the plant hasn't germinated yet, you might put some netting down just to protect them from being scuffed up. But other than that, that's that's pretty much it. You need to water it or you just put it in the soil there? No, well, so the when you plant it, which is actually the, the season to plant it is beginning about now, maybe a, a, in a couple weeks from now, um, all the way up until, I would say, in our region, mid-November, which is when we might get some hard frost and the ground might start to freeze, um, you can plant ginseng. And, and the seed needs um, two periods of cold stratification. So mm. the first period would have happened already by the time you got the seed um, or by the time you're ready to plant it if you didn't stratify it yourself. And then the second period would be after you put it in the ground. So you don't need to water it. Um, you just put it in the ground, and it needs that second. I mean, ideally, the ground is moist, right? It's not, you know, this dry, you know, crumbly, sandy environment. That's but, the um, right side it probably is, right? Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, and then it goes through the winter time, and that would be the second cold stratification. And then so, you know, ideally, if your seed is all good to go after that second stratification in the winter it'll germinate that following spring so all right so first we evaluate the site we've done that we've already talked about the site so we're like okay it's a good site we got to find seed source then plant the seed then monitor then harvest and process so let's talk about finding seed source yeah so Like I said, you want to find a seed source. It's not like ordering vegetables. It's not like you're going to go on to Johnny's seeds and like you're getting your tomato seeds and your lettuce Mm. seeds and your ginseng seeds. Johnny's actually does sell ginseng seed, but yeah, they do. I look, I I did look it up and it says it's stratified. Um, 
might try it out at some point. But uh, you really should find a reputable source that you know, you know, you can you can ask them or you've been to, you know, where they keep the seed, um, how their their storage processes, who they source from, if they grow it and harvest it themselves. Um, so, for example, we're for our program, we source our seed from Wild Hudson Valley. And they source their seed from a reputable grower in Canada. So, mm. um, you know, they know that his seed is year after year when they use it is relatively disease free. Um, that's another thing. You don't, you know, there's fungal diseases that can affect ginseng. So you want seed that's not, you know, got disease all over it. And that the first period of stratification happened properly um, and that the seed was stored properly. You can't just, you know, store it. I know a lot of. Uh, farmers that I've worked for just store their, you know, excess vegetable seeds or whatever in a kind of a fr an unplugged fridge. You know, it kind of keeps the seeds in a cool environment and like a, just in their seed packet in a little container. But uh, ginseng, you know, seed is a little more sensitive than that. So, what, talk, what are we talking about for prices on seed here, Zara? <laughs> It fluctuates, but um, from what I've seen, it, I think for about, if you're not buying in bulk, um, if you're just buying a, a couple of ounces or so, um, about an ounce or two ounces of seed is maybe 20 to $25. It's not too bad. Not bad. For and what we're going to talk about. Right. right. And then an ounce of seed is about four to 500 seeds. So that's a lot of plants. Yeah. And I'll just touch on it real quick. An ounce is about the square foot plot that you do on your program. So, right. so 25 so, bucks in... Yeah. Seeds, not, not terrible. No, not bad at all. Um, and the recommended seeding rate, based on, I don't remember where I found this, maybe Cornell or, or from Bob uh, Bifus, but is about um, five seeds per one square foot. Okay. So, you know. Yeah, and I see here you have one ounce of seed per 80 to 100 square feet. Right. Um, and so, actually, for the program, I think I'll be doing two ounce portions, and so that'll be almost double that. So, almost okay. 200, a little under 200 square feet. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So we got the seed. Third step, let's prepare the site. Yeah, so I kind of, I guess I already <laughs> kind of explained it, but. <laughs> I know, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's someone out there, they got a notebook, and they're going yeah. right down yeah. the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so no, we're, yeah, we're in the forest, <laughs> we have all the indicator plants, and we got a site that we really like. Yeah. What do we, what do we do? I got the seed. I got, got the seed. It's in my left ready. hand. I got the rake. You got in your my garden right rakes. Yep. Stratified seed in hand. Yep. All right. So, um, because the ideal site would be a slope, um, you're going to want to rake the leaves uphill. That'll just make it easier to break them back over and spread right. later. And we all got slopes. We all got slopes. Yep. For ginseng. Yeah. <laughs> going to be a slope. Should yeah. you be careful to walk where you're raking? You should, you know, you know, you don't want to step where you just raked. And no, you... I don't think you don't need to be too careful. Mm -hmm. um, as long as you're just just raking uphill, you know, as normal as you would normally rake, and just till you get down to you, you start seeing a little bit of soil, mineral soil, um, yeah. not so much organic matter, and then um, it might be helpful to have counted or roughly counted out your seed, portioned it out a little bit if you want to be more specific about. You know, if you're doing test plots, um, which are useful if you're not going to do a soil test, for example, um, you might want to count out your seeds so you know roughly about how many you put in your plot and how many plants you should expect to germinate. Ten by ten, roughly, is um, our plot, right? Uh, well, I'll be doing um, three to four small plots because it's better to... Um, because we're not doing soil tests, so right. we don't know exactly... 
you know, which spot might be better than another. So okay. it's better to do multiple small plots in different areas because, I mean, the soil can change within a few steps, you know, depends. So how small and, and how many are you doing that adds up to whatever? Uh, I think about three foot by four foot plots, so pretty okay. small. Wow. Um, it's like a rake. <laughs> Basically, a like almost. Swipes. I know, yeah, not that, not that, uh, yeah, not that large. Um, I right. mean, it depends on the site too. I might, you know, adjust based on yeah. uh, the site, uh, but that's a rough estimate. And then I didn't count out how many. I mean, I'm sure in my um, my all my notes for the program, I have a specific amount of plants per plot, but uh, I don't and, know. And how many plots? Three or four. Three yeah. or four of those. Yeah. So should total about based on the number of seeds. You know, two ounces of seed should be able to seed uh, about 160 square feet. Yeah, if you could find so. a spot like what I call deer islands, like yeah, some place where you think the deer couldn't get, like right. Rock Island or something. Yeah, cool. yeah, right. We all know. Slightly inaccessible or, you know, yeah. where there's some fallen trees, I guess. That would be, you know, some place where it's, yeah, they're not likely to kind of rummage around in there. Yeah. So you rake it uphill and it, then... You expose the mineral soil, and then you, you know, whether you counted your seed or not, you, you're you going to put it down. Uh, there's more meticulous methods like creating a little ditch with your rake, you know, and putting the seed in one by one. But in the wild simulated, we're just going to be scattering the seed evenly, hmm. you know, across the plot. Um, and then you kind of want to gently walk over it just to tamp it down in the soil, make sure there's some good soil contact. Mm -hmm. And then rake the leaf litter back onto that so same day same day yep and according to bob you can't put too much leaf litter on top of the plot so even if you get a bit extra um it's not a big deal i mean obviously don't make a huge leaf pile but right. you know don't i wouldn't worry about exact amounts of leaf litter um and then if you're gonna do the um chicken wire you can kind of put it relatively flat on the ground over where you seeded your plot in maybe throw some more leaf litter on top just to conceal it a bit yeah um well deer that, don't like the walk on no they don't yeah uh metal gate gated stuff I, that was a technique i read about years ago where yeah. they yeah they won't walk on it yep and <laughs> turkeys don't want to scratch on that metal you know even if they try that they, they'll find out pretty quick they don't really want to be scratching up there so i bet you turkeys eat ginseng berries oh they yeah everything you know they do yeah <laughs> Um, yep, and chipmunks and mice and things. So, yeah, ginseng's under a lot of it's a lot of tasty uh, parts of ginseng that critters like. So, <laughs> so you're gonna lay that cage flat, or are you gonna? Yeah, I mean, weigh, you could dome it. With um, stakes? Yeah, so probably just rocks. I mean, right, we're in a region full of rocks, so uh, should sure be an issue find there. Some. He'll find something. Yeah, <laughs> Go ahead. you could, you know, if you want to be more exact, you could, you know, bring out something to staple it to the ground or stake it mm. down or something but rocks would be just fine mm. don't need to go too crazy keep it um, simple what time of year uh so One between now and mid-november so okay. yeah uh fall basically so before freezes before freezes yep so yep and then you just leave it there you don't really need to do anything else you might consider marking it in some other way if you if the chicken wire is not obvious or if it's not um in a place where you think you're going to remember where it is yeah you know put a stake there or a little piece of flagging or something you know not not anything too obvious but what should you monitor for just a disturbance uh 
if things have been digging in there. Yeah, I mean, take a walk by it once in a while. Um, Where your leaves are. Hey, there's a ginseng. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they hide. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Probably no. walk right over them. Yeah, seriously. Um, Some flagging. Especially when they're small, because they only have, what, three leaves? Yeah, they, they, only, they only have their single, I mean, they develop prongs as they... Mature three leaflets. But let me say, th- yeah, this one has three leaflets. That the first year it should come up with just one prong, three leaflets that make up a little leaf. So it doesn't really look like the mature plant when it's a little baby. So, um, but it's a little guy. Yeah, it's just a little guy. You might miss it. Yeah, you might. Yeah, and they're very serrated. The, ed- the yes. leaf margins when yeah. they're young. Mm-hmm. So then you'd have to raise that cage up a little bit more if it starts to grow up through I'd the, recommend it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that member you mentioned earlier, I think he, I saw a, a photo of his plants and I think yeah. he just kind of domed it over. Yep. He just made this Because they don't get too tall anyway. Um, yeah. So I don't think you need to, like, construct a massive deer fence around, you know. That's why I told him, because he, he had this perfect thing going on with the cliff. Mm-hmm. I was like, just take chicken wire and drape it over the cliff. Yeah. D- real simple. It yeah. was great, because... It just worked out. Yeah. You know? uh-huh. When I was first thinking about ginseng, I was like, that would be a cool place to do it if you had a cliff. Mm-hmm. And you could very easily put a fence up. So yeah. I'm thinking of like the sheer cliff where the ginseng <laughs> plant is growing out. Of it is. It's something it's, you got to repel a down. And big <laughs> ginseng, man. John and I were walking on the consultation. I started veering off to the cliff because, like, I was like, you know, this is such good soil. Got to be something around. <laughs> and there it was, but. That thing was it was weak when you when you tugged on the leaf yeah. it was like chlorotic and and it wanted to come out of the ground you could uh, tell it just been browsed for so long yeah but it has come back with vengeance man since he put that little fence up and uh big roots i i bet you they're huge roots so saved it yeah and like i said babies everywhere man yeah it's really cool that's cool it really is yeah, I don't think you need to put up a barricade for the deer. I mean, even fence that deer can jump over, if they could see the other side, they're really not interested in getting in tight little confined spaces. Right. And they're not going to rip fence down like a bear would. You know, it's not like, you know, they're just trying to walk by somewhere and nibble on some leaves or something. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, legally you can't harvest it unless it's got three prongs. Which are, um, which are really leaves. Right. Because right. yeah. there's leaflets, right. which are multi, uh, co- uh, compound yeah. parts of a, of a leaf. Yeah. One prong equals one leaf equals three leaflets. Three um, to five. Yeah. Three to five. Yeah. So how long does a person have to wait after they've uh, invested this time? In Forever. <laughs> Forever, yeah. And when, when do you harvest wild simulator how do you know or do you just keep letting i mean if that one could be a hundred years old i mean when when is the right time to harvest yeah i mean part of it's subjective but um it also depends on the site so if you have a really good site you know you might be able to harvest as soon as five or six years that's rare i would say i'd say in wild simulated especially if you're not you know helping the plan out you're really just getting it established and then make sure that you know it doesn't get eaten um, maybe more like eight to ten years, so it can take quite a while. Um, so if you know you don't have that long to wait, maybe ginseng's not your not your uh, your your path. But um, also, what I would say is, if you did want to um, plant it, whether you're using it personally or if you're you know want to start a small business of ginseng or something like that. 
um, you can plant successions of it every year. So then you'd only have to wait that long once, you know. And then if you have successions every year, ideally those successional plots would be maturing mm -hmm. uh, every year after that that one long waiting period. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, that is one of the downsides is that you do have to wait quite a long time uh, before you can harvest. Well, that's what I think the beauty of these programs, like with your forest farming program, is that it, it's a pretty simple process, as we explained it, and people just really have to see this done, and then they can buy their own seed and find those own mm -hmm. their own areas and, and cultivate more of it and have kind of this rolling ginseng, uh, these plots that they can yeah. simulate. Yeah, I mean, the primary purpose is education. Um, with this type of stuff, it's hard to guarantee success with the actual planting or with the you know, especially wild simulated, you're literally just leaving it exposed to the elements. So um, it's kind of out of your control whether or not the plants survive. Um, but I've passed on the skill of being able to plant it. So ideally, you know, that skill is with where the value lies, where, you know, people can say, okay, now I have the skill, you know, even though these plants maybe weren't successful, I've learned from that and I can uh, try again on my own. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Um, harvesting it and yeah. processing. Yep. So um, two and a half, two and a half minutes. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, you dig them up. So you want the roots. Um, and you try to be as gentle as possible. You obviously don't want to damage the root. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, the roots are sold dried. So um, typically, you're going to have to dehydrate them, dry them. Um, that's at about I think seventy to ninety-five degrees. That's kind of a wide range, but um, you know, depending on how fast you want to get them dry and you want them to have lots of air circulation so they don't, you know, get moldy or... I just, um, got, a, I just got mine hanging. Yeah, you know, hanging somewhere, somewhere where there's just air around, yeah. you know. In front um, of the air conditioner. Right, yeah. So, um, yeah, and then it should take a few weeks, maybe two to three weeks uh, for them to fully dry out. And... Um, you can store them in a paper bag. You can turn them into other products like tea or, you know, turn them into a powder and put them in capsules, things like that. Um, or you can just sell them by the pound if, if that's what you want to do, if you're not not just personal use. Um, yeah. That you do need a, a dealer's permit if you're going to sell them commercially. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, yeah, that's that's it pretty much. Yeah, and there's a lot of information online, uh, both reputable and... Who knows? Right. On ginseng. Yeah. yeah, some local I would say uh uh contact us or Wild Hudson Valley. They're they're a great resource on ginseng. So And you know, before we go, um do you want to mention Zara what this program is again? Yeah, this is CFA's new uh forest farming program uh for wild cultivated or wild simulated ginseng cultivation. And you'll come to their property. Yeah, huh? I'll come to your property, show you the whole process step by step, uh bring all the materials with me and uh, teach you how to do it. Yeah, Catskill Forest Association is a private nonprofit forestry education organization. It is membership based, so in order to gain access to programs, you have to become a member. Full disclosure, Zane and I both work for the Catskill Forest Association <laughs> when we're not on WIOX Roxbury hosting from the forest. And I uh, just wanted to say um, real quick that there's a Mushroom Woods Walk October 21st at from 10 to 12 hosted by the Catskill Forest Association and being uh, run by Catskill Fungi, John Michelotti, Big Indian. More information, um, 
you can access Catskill Forest Association's website, catskillforest.org slash events. Also, the same day, if you don't have enough mushrooms going on in your life, you can do mushroom log inoculation and learn how to inoculate mushrooms uh, from 2.30 to 5. So you can spend the whole day from 10 to 5 just doing mushroom stuff, and that's also in Big Indian. And the same day, (laughs) if you're not into mushrooms, you're like, I want nothing to do with that. You can do backyard bird feeder talk from 10 to 12 in Margaretville. And Mike Porter, Catskill Forest Association's president, um, is a lifetime birder. He'll be doing that. And he has kept extensive records on bird sightings and migrations from outside his window over the decades. He has, he has observed a lot and has a lot to offer um, on how to, you know, put a bird feeder up, see what's going on. Mike is just, he knows birds yeah. mm-hmm. way more than I do. So I've been watching him for a long time. A long time. He's got records. Yeah, so, he's got records. He's got receipts. <laughs> he's got <laughs> bird receipts. He's got receipts. <laughs> all right, and that's all there is. I'm from the forest. See you next week with Mr. Mead, Mr. Gary Mead. Every third Wednesday, talk about a different Catskills tree. All right? Have a good night. Good night, everyone. See you. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. Seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow His eyes were red, his hopes were dead And the wine was running low And the old man came home From the forest His tears fell on the sidewalk As he stumbled in the street A dozen faces stopped to stare But no one stopped to speak WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Rockland Cider Works, upstate in Gilboa. An agritourism cidery with vacation rentals on a sprawling former dairy farm. Gluten-free hard cider made from 100% New York State apples. New York State produced beer, wine, and spirits. And live music this Friday and Saturday and every Friday and Saturday through October. Rockland Cider Works, upstate on Stryker Road in Gilboa. Details at rocklandciderworks.com. Chappie's Good Food on Main Street in Roxbury for lunch, dinner, and cocktails. And Chappie's sister restaurant, the Old Mill Steakhouse, just around the corner on Bridge Street. Chappie's open every day. The Old Mill Steakhouse, open on weekends. 607-326-7020 or chappiesgoodfood.com.